Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Hold Down the Fort, episode six, uh, the best up and coming uh, sports debate podcast uh, on YouTube. I'm joined with my boys, Sam on the big screen and in person, Michael and Vinay. Um, we have a slated uh, podcast for you today. Really excited to delve into it. But also, we want to remind y'all to please continue to leave support. Like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications, all the fun stuff. So yeah, uh, Sam and Vinay, why don't y'all take it away with uh, our first uh, topic of the day. So we've got a, a loaded NFL slate today. Um, you know, this weekend was great. A lot of great games again to start wildcard weekend. The Giants upsetting the Vikings, though. That's where I want to start. Giants take down the Vikings 31-24. to Boys, do we think it is time for the Vikings to just blow it up and rebuild after this? I mean, another disappointing year. Vinay, what do you think? Is it time to blow this thing? I don't think the Vikings should overreact. I think that <clears throat> the Vikings fell victim to a lot of media overhype, and you know their record was better than they truly were as a roster and a football team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think they definitely have something special with Kirk and Jay Dennis. I mean, you see Justin Jefferson breaking all these records, but you got to remember, he's breaking them with Kirk Cousins. I don't think you break that up. Especially, you don't want to disgruntle Justin Jefferson to leave and go somewhere else. Keep that together. Keep a top receiver in football. Get some more pieces for that defense. You know, get some younger guys in there. And I think the Vikings can really contend for a Super Bowl. As much as it saddens me as a fan. What about you? <clears throat> so I, I agree with the name. Um, I think the media hype was there. You know, for a reason, right? We saw flashes of like how good the Vikings could be this season. And I think that's a testament to, you know, where they could could head in the future if they make the right decisions in the offseason. Um, you know, I do think that they were overhyped, like Vinay said. Um, they have a ton of, like, weapons like Jay Jettas that, you know, can literally go out there and, and be the difference in some games. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't think it's, it's at the point where they would have to, you know, uh, abandon ship just yet. I think they... You know, they showed growth from, from last season. Uh, they showed what they could be in the future if they make the right like decisions. And um, for that, I think it's like a, a mini accomplishment that should push them forward to continue doing that in the future. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Michael and Vinay here. I kind of was one to buy into the to media overhype because I saw like a flashy wide receiver and, you know, kind of just bought into what Justin Jefferson can do for the Vikings. So... I agree with what Vinay said, especially like now is not the time to jump ship, you know, just pick up, you know, a few boys to help, you know, on the other side of the ball and see where that kind of goes. And, you know, there were Super Bowl contenders earlier on this year, kind of like, you know, leading up to the playoffs. So I definitely do think that the potential is there to, to make the Super Bowl. Sam, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of in the middle here. I feel like it maybe don't completely blow it up, but at the same time, I feel like this is the first year that everyone on the team has kind of noticed that there's actual limitations to how far they, they can go. Uh, you know, when you start out as hot as, as they do, and you're just, you know, putting up all these points and the offense is so explosive, I think they had a, a lot, they had Super Bowl aspirations. I mean, your high seed home game in the playoff round, you, you finally won the division away from the Packers. And then it ends extremely disappointing, and you get outcoached and outplayed by Daniel Jones and Brian Dable. So while I don't know if it's time to blow it up completely, I think next year is going to be a real uh, do-or-die year because the guys on the team may have already realized that, you know, with Kirk Cousins, this is just as far as we can go. 
Uh, there definitely has to be a lot of retooling. Uh, the defense is pathetic. Like, it might be the worst defense in the league, even if the numbers don't show it. Definitely not a Super Bowl caliber there. So you have to focus really after you re-sign Justin Jefferson in the offseason, which that has to be the top priority, no, no doubt. Uh, the defense has to be almost completely redone because uh, the way they played this year just won't cut it. Yeah, I kind of have a follow-up question. Do y'all think they need to make more roster changes or staff changes? Um, I personally think, you know, the defensive staff were iffy. You know, you could justify firing them. You could justify keeping them. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm a Vikings fan, I want someone different in that building mm-hmm. coaching that defense. Uh, but number one, first off, their interior defensive line needs so much help. Mm-hmm. That D-line has something special on the ends with Daniil Hunter, Zadarius Smith. Great duo, but that interior D-line, they could not stop their run game. Gosh. Saquon gashed them. That's a number one need if I'm a Vikings fan right now. you got to get a defensive coordinator who will establish that line of scrimmage with those big guys up front. I think that's the best, best course of action. Yeah, Sam, what about you? Yeah, I feel like this one, uh, you just did the coach. Like, you know, Kevin O'Connell's a, a new head coach, so you just did that. I think the whole offensive staff has all kind of been reworked recently, so I think this is definitely a player issue more than it is a staff issue. I mean, but even on the defense, like, they don't even have a good defense on paper, really, outside of Danielle Hunter and and uh, Zadarius Smith. Harrison Smith is, is aging. He's out of his prime now, so that's clear. So you're kind of lacking at the safety. You really have nothing at corners, like, you let Isaiah Hodgins, uh, you know, just destroy you, and and that we Giants receiver core. You let you Daniel Jones, <laughs> you let Daniel Jones tear you up with that receiver core. I mean, I think this is more of a players' issue because you just really you just remade the staff last season, so I don't really know what they could go do uh, now. So I think I would chalk this one up more to the players on the defensive side. They also have to draft really well. That's a key. Yeah, exactly. Draft Patrick, is key. Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith. These are vets past their prime. Uh, but they're just old. They're just they're, they're a little too out of their prime to really exactly. make a, a statement. You I gotta, can't. You got to replace those two with young keystone yeah. pieces. Yeah, I can't wait until we start doing mock drafts, boys. Like I think that'll be so fun. Very like, interesting. Very exciting things to come. Bridging the college and NFL segments right before our eyes. But the next part of the NFL segment: Bucks lose to the Cowboys, thirty-one uh, fourteen. Where do y'all think Brady is going to end up next year? Um, you know, just maybe something quick. Where, where do you think? Where do you see Brady playing next year? If you're a betting man, um, I see him retiring. Really? Yeah. I have to agree, honestly. The situation is just not good enough for Tom <clears throat> at this point in his career. Realistically, if he wants to win, AFC West. Let's be real; he's not going to win there. Um, and NFC South, Panthers. Those have been circulating. Panthers aren't there yet. Yeah. Nothing, nothing's good enough for him, in my opinion, to justify having another mediocre sort of season. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I kind of agree with the name. I think like he should retire, but I don't think he will. Like realistically, uh, if he wanted, like his best chance to win, I think is Miami. But they see they're ready to roll with, roll with Tua, according to all the reports, and I'm fine with that. Um, so the Raiders are the hot pick. I don't really agree. Um, <coughs> Today's report that Byron Leftwich has been fired kind of makes me believe he'll stay in Tampa because that was his issue, is that he wasn't getting along with the coaching staff. So if he doesn't retire, I think he just plays it out in Tampa. Uh, Raiders are, yeah, the Raiders just don't have enough on the defense and really on the offensive line. 
uh, for it to be any big difference. And a harder division, like like Vinay said, that defense or uh, that division is just wide open. You can win it every year when you're in Tampa. Yeah, I um I think he stays. Um, I just think he loves football too much. He's going to overcome whatever problems that are on the roster. You can probably sway um, that staff um, to you know get pretty much whoever he wants. Um, you saying he's staying in Tampa? Yeah, I think he stays in Tampa. I mean, should he retire? I mean, probably, but like this is also Tom Brady. Like the man is like very old. So, yeah. do you think he stays for one more season, or you just like at least one plus season? Mm, I don't know. I guess it, that depends on like, the outcome of the upcoming season. But um, Tampa, Tampa have to fix their run game. I mean, that's their number one issue offensively. So yeah, hundred percent. They need a coach to come in there who's run first, kind of run minded. So if they take like uh, a running back first off the board, like do you think that's enough of a change to see some potential come out of it? Like, like if you give they, me, um, like I need to go to free. Like, 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 like well, who, who would be like the first back off the board? Uh, like B. John Robinson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he drops. Him. I don't know, but like you know what I mean. Like yeah, think, but I think B. John goes before. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Well, what's their pick though? Bucks are gonna have a They're going to be, uh, yeah, true, now that I mentioned it, they might be in the ring, but I think the Eagles might, might take them with that extra pick that they have with the Saints, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that's all mob draft stuff. You think we should get to the next question, Sam? Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll see. Please, I'll be freaking. All right, you want to ask the next one, Sam? Yeah, uh, this one was, this one was a really emotional game for me, because it made me really upset, and it, it caused me to go for 3 on my best bets, pretty much. Oh. Um, the oh. Jaguars... What a spoiler. Have a comeback. Yeah, spoiler alert right there. That's how bad it was. If you guys follow the TikTok, you know that I posted a, a, a bit of a rant on there after this happened because I was, I was just not in the place to deal with that. But, um, yes, yeah, Jaguars complete the stunning historic comeback against the Chargers to win 31-30. to Trevor Lawrence, a horrific first half, and then maybe one of the best second halves we've ever seen in the wild card. Really a game of two halves. Uh, Chargers utter collapse, but I want to ask you guys, is this game more about the Jaguars' second half performance, or was it more about the Chargers' second half collapse? What was the bigger factor here? Michael, let's start with you. I'll go Jags' second half performance. I mean, you're up 27 nothing, right? Like, I, I don't think that this is on, like, anyone but them. They, they blew a huge lead. I mean, they were able to stop them for the majority of the first half, and then it just looked like they couldn't adapt at all. You know, when the Jags made a change offensively in their scheme, they, the Chargers did not adjust at all, and I don't think that, you know, their play really showed that. I mean, if you give up, what this is like one of the biggest comebacks in wild card history, right? Like, yeah. It was a uh, third biggest. Third biggest, third biggest, yeah. Wow, dude, that's, that's crazy. That's that you pretty that the Yeah, but I don't know. I don't, like, obviously, like, Trevor Lawrence and all them have to, like, find a way to overcome adversity, and, and like, that's no easy thing to do. Um, but, like, watching part of that comeback, the Chargers defense just looked like, they didn't want it anymore. I don't know. That's just how I see it. I mean, I, yeah, I went out that night. So I didn't really watch the game or the highlights. So I can't really. I have to say though, like if you're if you're in a position where you, a team doesn't score any points and you allow them to come back and win a game at halftime, I think it more so has to do with the like the lack of like you know discipline from the defense, like just utterly falling asleep. Um, so yeah, that's just like my opinion. Just about you know. I have a guess where Renee is going with this. I think he's going to say T-Law, like, absolutely took over. Yeah, 100%. Nah, I'm saying this is all about the Chargers collapse. Oh, okay, okay, okay. First off, as Michael noted, no adjustments at half. 
I mean, no adjustments throughout that second half. They had multiple chances. Trevor Lawrence, it, he made the game look so easy. Amazing performance on his end. But in the NFL, you just don't lose when you're up 27-0. And when the stakes are the highest and you have the most to lose, to let that slip away in an NFL game, especially a playoff game, that just doesn't happen. And like, that's a testament to the utter collapse that it was because in the NFL, you're not, you're supposed to guarantee a win when you're up by that margin. Mm -hmm. In a playoff game, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree with the name. I mean, that's, that, this feels like really it's all on the Chargers. Obviously it takes a lot of skill and good team play to come back down from that much, but I mean, if you're the Chargers and you go into halftime, you can't get more than three points in the second half. Like, it's just painful. They really, I mean, you have Eckler, who's a good, I get he has a down year, but he's still a good back. And, and you just, they refuse to run the ball. It's three and out after three and out. This feels like a poor coaching job. I mean, Stanley, you want to go for four downs all your whole career, but the second you get here, you don't want to do it anymore? Uh, it just felt like a Chargers collapse. Obviously, mad props to the Jaguars. It's incredibly impressive. And they played a huge part in it. But I think the biggest uh, contributing factor here was the collapse of the Chargers in the second half due to that refusal to turn to the run game and the defense just letting up a little too much. Yeah, so the unanimous pull down the fort conclusion is that this is on the Chargers collapse. Four and four of us are in agreement on that. Yeah, I'm glad we can you know, reach consensus on that. But one thing we might not reach consensus on is... The most likely upset of the weekend. Sam, I'll ask you first, uh, since I actually didn't think of mine. Uh, why don't you tell us your most likely upset? Yeah, uh, out of the home games this weekend, we got the Chiefs playing at home against the Jags. Bills are at home against the Bengals. Eagles at home against the Giants, and the Niners at home against the Cowboys, just for reference. Uh, I mean, the Cowboys-Niners could be pr a pretty interesting game, to be fair. I think that has the potential to go down to the wire. But um, if we're talking most likely or to lose, um, I, I, I think the, the Giants will beat the Bengals. But when I look at the pure odds of winning, I mean, the Giants will beat the Eagles. But when we look at the pure like, chances of winning, uh, you know, they, they can't really be there. So I would have to go for the Bengals upsetting the Bills, even though my hot take pick is that the Giants will beat the Eagles. I agree. But Bengals beating the Bills, they're two teams that are almost relatively equal, only separated by about a, a game during the regular season. Obviously, we know what happened, and they didn't get to fin out, finish out the game they actually played. So if we want to look at just percentage of winning, like the Bengals definitely have the highest percentage chance of winning uh, as a, you know, not the favorite team out of those four. So that would be my pick, even though my actual hot take is that the the Giants will win again against the Eagles this weekend. Wow. Um, yeah, just jumping in real quick, because I actually agree with Sam. I think uh, Vegas like is really uh, underestimating the Bengals and putting the line at five and a half. I think. Um, I think it's gonna be a really close game, especially judging our last play. I'm rooting for the Bills, though, just for reference. I am rooting for the Bills in this game. Uh, all right. Well, I'm glad to welcome over uh, a fellow like a Dolphins fan <laughs> to the to the Bills Mafia. I'm glad you're joining us. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just judging from my last playoff performance against Miami, like, honestly, like, makes me very nervous this upcoming game, and, you know, Jamar Chase, T, um, uh, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, stacked offense, so um, I really am nervous, especially, you know, considering what the Bills defense did last week against Miami. Don't forget the best wide receiver three in fantasy football, Tyler Boyd. I mean, he is just a clinical wide receiver. Not yeah. this way, I'm just playing. But I am also actually going to take the Bengals as the most likely upset against the Bills. Um, 
I don't see a scenario in which this game is not close, right? I like, I think that this is going to be one of those games where, you know, you're sitting at home watching, it's like 30 to 30 with like three minutes left, and it's just a matter of who gets the ball last, right? Um, and on that note, if the game does put out that way, uh, one team, you know, they got Tyler Bass, sure. But the other team has a guy by the name of Evan McPherson. And you know where he went to school, y'all? University of Florida. He's known for his game winners, as he's done it historically. Did it in the playoffs last year. I think he has a chance to do that again um, and, and upset the Bills. I think the Bills have looked pretty vulnerable um, recently. Um, and I think, you know, the Bills can probably take him on. So, do I think... Bengals look pretty vulnerable, too. Let's, let's be fair. They did not look exactly uh, world beaters last week. I yeah. mean... Sorry, sorry. No, no, go for it, go for it. Yeah, me personally, on the note of the Bills-Bengals game, I think that the Bills have the edge in this one just because I trust Trey White and Kyrie Elam more than I trust Eli yes. Apple. Might be a little biased with the Elam pick, but, you know. I, well, you right, Elam had an amazing performance last game. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's good. I actually like him. He's done a solid corner. Point is, I think the Buffalo second, secondary is more well-equipped to handle the weapons of the Bengals than the Bengals secondary is to handle the weapons of the Bills. That's so true. I, I agree. So, so my prediction is actually going to be the Cowboys over the 49ers. Um... Simply because I think that this Cowboys pass rush is on a different timing on, in the playoffs this year. I mean, yes, against a pitiful Buccaneers offensive line, they got their confidence up, but you can't deny their confidence is at an all-time high. Michael Parsons wreaking Lawrence Te- Taylor levels of havoc. I think he's going he's to have an all-time great playoff performance to upset the 49ers. It's going to be an all-time classic. You know, that Cowboys 49ers historic playoff rivalry. This is going to be the modern day, you know, Lawrence Taylor type esque performance. I'm predicting big things from Parsons. Give me the Cowboys. Interesting pick. All right, Sam, what about you? Oh, you just have the Bengals, right? Yeah, I have, I have Bengals over the Bills for mine. All right. Is, is that all of us? Michael? No, you guys didn't go. Yeah, no. Yeah, we, yeah, we went, we went. Yeah. We all said the Bengals. All right, well. Yeah, okay. So, in that case. Uh, we're going to move on to college football. This has been a crazy last week or so as far as recruiting and uh, transfer portal goes. It's been honestly ridiculous. Uh, but we start with the breaking news as of today. Uh, over the weekend, Cormani McClain ditched Miami's attempt to come see him at school in order to appear at an official visit in Colorado. Deion Sanders said he was not hard to find. He found him pretty quickly. And as of today, he officially commits to join uh, Travis Hunter in the defensive backfield at the Buffaloes. This is huge for um, Dion. He flips the top defensive back two years in a row. Well, what does this mean for Colorado? I mean, what, what are they looking at as far as recruiting, uh, the future of the recruiting and transfer portal outlook at Colorado? What does this mean for them? Anything significant? Right. Like, what do you think? You're the college football guy. Well, I think it's really interesting, right? Because I think... We've discussed previously that Colorado is not going to be a powerhouse, power five, like, player, right, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Like, it's going to take a while for them to build up. You know, you don't have two guys in Travis Hunter and Kwame McLean and start winning championships, right? It takes a lot of depth. It takes a lot of time to, like, establish yourselves as a, a, a high-powered recruiting team. Um, but I do think it, it says one thing, and it's that, you know, no DB is safe with Dion. Right, like 
especially when they're young, like it's such an it's such an enticing um, like I guess like advertisement to have the goat at that position teaching you, right? And it's for a school where you know you're gonna start right away, right? There's no there's no battle at your position. You go straight in there and you're instantly making an impact. And you know what I honestly think will happen is that we're gonna see these guys, Cormami and, and Travis Hunter, they'll play very well uh, at Colorado, but I think a year or two from, from now, to really prove themselves as, as solid defenders and, and solidify that draft stock, they're gonna transfer, I think, to you know, maybe the SEC and play for you know, Nick Saban or, or a Kirby Smart-esque school. And I think that that's what people are not really talking about, is how this is gonna eventually lead like the powerhouses that currently exist to maybe get a shot at them down the road. Um, I don't know, but it is interesting. The initial question was uh, about like what does this mean for Colorado? I don't think it means a whole lot long term um, because Dion really needs to still prove to me that he's able to recruit other positions um, and hire a staff that's capable of doing that. Um, but I do, I do still think it's impressive that he's done this in back-to-back years. Um, like obviously, you have to like have some type of pitch that makes sense to get you know these world-class cornerbacks to come to your school, even if you are the greatest player at that position ever. Um, what do y'all think? Yeah. Well, hold on. Before you guys go, I hate to cut you off. I just had a quick follow-up from Michael because I was yeah. kind of curious to hear what you had to say about this. Yeah. If you had to predict right now, do you think that Dion in Colorado with a full year of recruiting under his belt, do you think they'll have a top 10 class next year as far as 2024 goes? Um, I don't, I'd say no. I put Maybe them, top 20. Let's go top 20. Uh, I could see, I could see like a, a fringe top 20 class come in there because okay. yeah the thing is especially with NIL nowadays like you have to imagine Travis Hunter and, and Cormani are getting are they're gonna they're getting their money right like Cormani's little yeah, nickname sure. is Cormani Money McLean right and it's like I don't know I think with NIL anything is possible and I think if they get momentum things can pick up really really quickly um we haven't you know seen them dominate the transfer portal. Actually, that might be false. I think they've done pretty well in the portal. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. They've I, done great in the portal. It's, yeah. just, it's not exactly top-tier talent. It's, yeah, they're not, what's left. Yeah, it's exactly. better than what they have. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't see them being top 10, top 20 maybe. I think it's possible. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, back to our original question then. Uh, Rohan, what did you think? What does signing Cormani McClain mean for Deion Sanders this season? Or, you know, for this upcoming season and this offseason, at least? Um... You know, I only, you know, can, can judge what, you know, Deion Sanders can do by what I know about him. And I only know about him through uh, my TikTok for you page. I recently saw a TikTok about how, you know, he gathered his entire team and they were voting on whether to dismiss a five-star recruit because of multiple, like, infringements of his coaching policy. And, you know, he made it, you know, so it made it seem like, you know, his team is like not just a team and it's a family. So I think, you know, that type of culture, whatever it's, you know, embedded in a team from the start. Um, I think, you know, no matter, you know, how much talent disparity there is or how much coaching disparity there is, um, I still think, you know, that team could achieve, you know, a great many, you know, different things. Um, so, you know, I think with a coach like Dion, who's, you know, establishing that culture from like the offset, um, there's no like, you know, there's no limits as to what he can do. And we already know he's a great recruiter. So, um, you know, I just think, you know, with the culture that he's building, it's gonna attract, you know, a lot of top talent from high school. And we already know with the right, you know, with the right, with the right class, you can be uh, very successful. So that's pretty much my take on what I know very little about uh, in Deion Sanders. 
Yeah, I mean, he's building, he's, he's building the best quarterback room in the country. That's not something to, you know, play down. I mean, if we believe Cormani, Money, McLean to be who we believe to be, <coughs> along with Travis Hunter, who's proven himself to be quite the athlete, I think that's not something to just... I think Dion is quietly building a contender of a defense. Now, still up in arms to see how his son will handle that offense, so... I do see this being kind of like an identity-forming year, so not a huge year. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the next question. Um, Walker Howard, or yeah, Walker Howard joins Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders um, at Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin. Spencer Sanders uh, just also recently flipped there from Oklahoma State, and now they have three starting caliber quarterbacks uh, in that quarterback room. It's pretty ridiculous, right, Sam? I know. Um, we just yeah yeah. I, I just I knew that uh, Howard had been there. Uh, yeah, I knew Howard committed there today, and, and I kind of understood that move. You know, it's fine to sit behind a guy. We assume this is Dart's last year, so we assume you know it's fine to sit behind him. You're still young. I get that, but Spencer Sanders is what is what really boggles my my mind here, so to speak. I just it makes no sense to me. You have three guys on the same team. I understand one of them. But I'm pretty sure this is Sanders' last year of eligibility and why you would want to spend it. Likely sitting behind I'm under the impression Dart is the guy. Why you would want to spend it sitting behind him, just as uh, I don't quite understand it. I don't know why you need to have three starting caliber on the same team. Yeah, uh, clearly, I mean, maybe it's just a pay thing. Like Maybe they just paid him and they out. But yeah, I, I don't understand this at all. It, I really don't know what to say. This just makes no sense. Yeah. Mostly for Spencer Sanders. Yeah, I mean... Jackson Dart is not going to the league, right? Like he's coming back for sure. Yeah, yeah, he's not. He's not yeah. declared as a top prospect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. That, he's coming back. He'll he's twenty twenty four likely to go. But uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement with you. Seth. this makes no sense to me. I don't know. These all seem like quarterbacks that like this could be a like three as I see it right now. I could see this finishing as a three way tie for, for the starting job. Like I really could, and obviously it's not going to happen. There's going to be probably one, and if not one, two, that proliferate themselves, like, the clear one and two. Um, but, like, as I see it now, these guys are, like, pretty similarly talented. I mean, like, I don't know. I think they're, like, B-plus tier quarterback to all of them. So, um, yeah, maybe it's NIL, but, hat, like, hats off to Lane Kiffin. He just got three ballers. Um, yeah, I mean, we also talked about it earlier. Maybe they want to play because of that Ole Miss offense, right? Like, if you're in that offensive system, you're going to be throwing the ball a ton um, and showcasing what you're doing. They're just not going to get the chance to play. Yeah, exactly. and that's Maybe, like, maybe Howard will, but I don't know. I don't see Spencer Sanders going to get a chance to play. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What do y'all think? It's just it is weird. I mean, all I can help but do is just imagine what Jackson Dog is thinking right now. I mean, coming off last year, not a bad year. High-flying offense, some big wins, but imagine now two – Talented, capable, proven quarterbacks to light a fire under your helmet. Can we, can we talk, please? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Forgot what I was going to say. Goddamn. All right. Um, Let's just oh, resume from Also, that. make sure you're not in the way of. No, I'm not. Yeah, can you also, like. Wait, let me make sure you're not. Yeah. Look from the recordings first. Bro, is there a way that you can kind of, like, tell yours? Facing kind of the same way I mine is. Right. Okay. 
do I do you want me to do it now or should we just like wait till Jonah comes because it'll just like look weird like it's like a random okay, cut. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wait till Jonah is grabbing this chair. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. All right, we good. By the way, after this, don't like ask me to say anything because I don't know anything about this topic. So <laughs> just like skip over me. I mean, uh, we can right, go right, to the right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, two talented, capable quarterbacks to light a fire under your ass. It's. It's going to be a really tough season for Jackson Darby. we got to see what he's made of. If he comes out of this on top, that's just a testament to, you know, his talent and his grit. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's move on to the whole Jaden Rashada saga. Um, I know Josh Pate talked about this on his podcast tonight, which I'll be watching later. Um, this is such a fascinating recruitment to me. I mean... I was following this recruitment super, super closely with a couple of my friends. Shout out uh, that group chat. If you know, you know. Um, but when he initially committed to Miami, there was so much talk about how the day of he was, you know, kind of set on UF. And then, you know, they gets a call and it's John Reeves. He picks it up and John Reeves goes, hey, how would you like 10 million plus dollars? And, and, um, What's his name? Rashada goes, hold the phone. I'll be there right now. So I don't know. Like, I, I honestly think a lot of it isn't Rashada's um, like prerogative. I think it's really his parents. If you're reading like the reports closely, um, his parents are to blame. Um, that's who I'm blaming. Um, they're apparent. According to the reports, um, his dad in particular um, seems to be somewhat money hungry. This is literally the reports that like, are, are getting like put out there by like actual beat writers for these teams. Um, and like, I don't know, he was walking to UF. I saw him when he came here to visit versus the LSU game. Looked very happy to be here. Even took a picture of my sign. And Jaden Rashada, if you're seeing this, please send me that photo. I've tried DMing you on Instagram like five times, bro. <laughs> Just please send me the photo. Um, but anyway, like I, I can't explain what he's, what he's up to. I mean, you don't want to play for the school that you were so set on in, in UF. And, you know, it to me it seemed like UF was the reason he had he had switched from Miami to UF initially is because he didn't feel like Miami was the best fit for him um, outside of the whole money thing, and and he eventually wanted to change that and start to value like his actual career as both an like a an athlete and a student, right? So I don't know what ha- I don't I really don't know what happened. I'm interested to see where that goes, uh, where he ends up. He could also very easily stay committed to UF. Um, even if he's getting rid of his national letter of intent. Um, but we, we, we will see. I don't know. That'll be something really interesting to follow. Um, unfortunate, because I was happy um, to get two five-stars in that quarterback room um, with a lag way right behind him. But it happens. I'm sure we'll find some decent guy to compete with um, Graham Mertz uh, in the portal. But, yeah, that's that's all I got to say. Any, anyone else want to add anything? Yeah. I mean, I got a lot to say, so you guys, you guys go first. I, I better just take yeah, that time taking yeah. in all of this. All, all I'll say is that John Ruiz story. You know, if it's true, that's wild. What is? I mean, that's crazy to think about. This is the day and age of college football, where on the walk to the podium, anyone could get a phone call from anybody for any amount of money, and that can change everything. Yeah, and I also want to say, like, I'm not, like, out here claiming that's for sure what happened. It's just that's, like, what very, very strong rumors from people who have, like, been credible in the past are saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I just want to put that out there. Like, I could be wrong. I could very well be wrong. Yeah, yeah, but, I, I mean, it, the fact is, like, you 
we believe it in this and yeah like it's believable and yeah i i just think that's crazy that's what i take away from this yeah yeah and i i have to agree like it's just very disappointing to see you know someone who you know we thought to be um you know our starting quarterback you know fall through last minute and this guy was hunting him up to all of us so we were looking forward to seeing him play. Yeah. I honestly don't know if he would have been a starter, but he would have competed, probably competed for the job pretty well. Sam, I know you said you have a lot of thoughts. What do you think? So, yeah, well, when I look at this, there's two ways I got to go through it. There's there's one angle of the, the FSU fan who, you know, loves to, to see any other rival school go through turmoil. But then I got to look at it as a fan of the sport, which I am. I mean, I just love all things college football. And, and let's be real, um, it is better when UF creates some parody and is, is competing for the SEC and making noise. They are an historic program, just like all three power schools in Florida are. There's history to all three. So it does kind of suck to see them have such a bleak outlook for next year as of right now. But um, really, it comes down to this. Uh, like you said, not all the reports are like certified yet, but what is official is that he did ask for a release from the letter of intent that has been confirmed. Uh, he did not enroll on campus when he was supposed to, which immediately puts him behind the uh, the progress of the top recruits like Nico Yamaleava. I don't know if I said that right. Wow, that was, and, that and, was uh, a pretty solid pronunciation, I would say. <laughs> and, uh, and Arch Manning, both of them enrolled early and are using the spring to get adjusted to the offense. Michael says he doesn't think he would have got the job. I'm like on the complete opposite. I I just slandered Grant Burns so whenever I get the chance because I'm just not a fan. Like, I don't know why. He just kind of like, sucks to me. So I think Rashad could have gone in and competed right away, especially if he got in for spring. Uh, you know, I, I don't really think anything of Jack Miller, uh, really. I don't, I don't think he's doing anything much. Wow. But uh, it, it sucks. Shout out Jack, bro. I, I thought I thought Rashad could have come in and got the job, but if he didn't win the job from the start, I think he definitely could have taken it throughout the year. Um, like I, I believe that he was definitely going to be the starter by the time the FSU game rolled around in the swamp. But uh, it just sucks because I looked at the schedule yesterday uh, for UF this season, and with Graham Mertz at the quarterback, five and seven is is really possible. Unfortunately, it's, it's a really possible outcome, which sucks. I like to see UF doing good. There's nothing I'm looking forward to more than uh, the UF FSU game, especially like now with Jordan Travis coming back and our whole roster really staying intact. Uh, I thought this had potential to be one of the best games ever. And, and we saw it last year. Like, last year's game was amazing. And uh, But, you know, if you couldn't get the job done with Anthony Richardson, I don't think you're going to get it done with Graham Burks. Uh, well, so, uh, it's a bit more of a complex, I think, situation than that. I yeah, also, I, I don't think Graham Burks is beating FSU, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU. I don't think you're beating Arkansas with Graham Burks, let's be real. Really? Dude, I, 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 I would, Did KJ Jefferson back? I, I believe that game is in Arkansas. That's kind of why I say that because it's an away game. But, uh, I don't think it is. Like, I think we put that at home. I'm just so out on the guy. It, it sucks. I, I wanted to see a five-star talent come in and potentially see uh, yeah. you know. I mean, we'll save this, we'll save this for another pod because we'll do like early like record predictions for future college. Yeah, well, I think me and you are going to go do a whole way too early top 25 at some point. So 45, we'll that's lit. Um, but yeah, there's yeah, no... Well, I the Gar- the Gators will not go five and seven next year. They're winning the Book Natty, it. bro. Book it. They're no, not- I, I mean it's just it's not it's not a testament to the talent of the team because you guys have a solid roster and a good recruiting class. It's more about the schedule. I mean, it's just going to play such a hard schedule that with a bad 
or you know, with not a good quarterback, it's really hard to. I mean, you were what six and six with Anthony Richardson and NFL prospect. Yeah, but we also didn't have any receivers. We're getting three freshman receivers that make up the second best wide receiver class in the twenty twenty three cycle. I mean, I don't know. You're, that's a lot of faith to put in a couple freshmen to go along with a lesser QB. Yeah, but I mean, we've seen we've seen freshman quarter or like wide receivers do it before, right? Like. Yeah, I just I, I just don't think the talent is there at the most important position. I, frankly, I yeah, I guess. I mean, the thing is, also, we can talk about this. Well, we can, I'm gonna like close it here. We'll get to the next question because we've been going on for a while. But I also think Graham Mertz at Wisconsin um, didn't have like the best protection all year. If you watch some of his film, he was scrambling out of the pocket like crazy. Had to make some. Well, do we know what the Florida line will look like next year with no Torrance on it? I, I mean, you're losing a lot of key pieces. I, we just picked up the the second best. Uh, we, linemen, right? Yeah, we picked up we picked up three offensive linemen from the portal who are all um, going to be pretty solid, I think. Um, all, right. all have a shot at starting time. I also think that Rob Sale is going to get them boys straight. Um, like I think I think they'll have better protection at UF than Wisconsin. Is what I'm saying. So maybe it'll be interesting. I just just don't. Yeah. Have, I, just, I I I agree. With Rosado, there was an X factor that he could be something. Yeah, yeah. Great, but it's, it's like it's much likely. I agree. I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, last question. Last question. Jim Harbaugh is going to return to Michigan. Let's make this a quick one. Can the Wolverines compete for the title again next year? I'll start with you, Sam. Uh, no, I've got. I think a lot of things are going to bounce back. Ohio State will be better than them next year, uh, and I'm going to say Alabama, Georgia, and uh, well, those three for sure. I just don't think they'll be they'll be good enough to win the title. I'd have to agree. Yes. No chance. Yeah. For me, it's not even that they'll be bad. It's just they won't be elite, elite enough to win the big game. Yeah, they just we, won't be what they were this year. We've seen Jim Harbaugh in big college football playoff games. What has he done? He's lost. I don't think they can compete genuinely, or legitimately at least, for a, friend, a natty. All right. Rohan? Yep. It is your time to shine, is it not? Yes, it is. Sorry, I was just pulling something up. But yeah. Uh, now, uh, to talk about our soccer segment, uh, some real quick a transfer update. Um, we just saw Memphis Dubai join Atletico Madrid for like three and a half million euros, I think. Uh, let's see what he can do over there. We'll be keeping track of him. Uh, we saw a, a workhorse complete his transfer to Manchester United uh, for the rest of the season. I know uh, Vide is uh, pretty excited about that. Um, but speaking about signings, uh, Chelsea have brought in Joao Felix, and now uh, they have recently dropped their bag on. Um, uh, I actually saw this on on Fabrizio Romano. Sorry, it was like some I forgot who, but I think they signed like a French midfielder for about like thirty mil euros, I think. Yeah, and they put out a sixty-eight million dollar bid for a separate player on top of that new signing. Yeah, so they're still looking to spend a ton of money on more signings. On top of what they've already done. I know, yeah. The whole situation at Chelsea is ridiculous. So obviously desperate. Yeah. If they, if they literally have more signings than wins this season, they're currently sat at 10th in the Premier League, and they have, I think, over 13 or 14 signings, which is kind of wild. And to it's be... only going to go up. They're setting themselves back in that situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're a top six Premier League team, and they are in 10th place, which is honestly like very shocking to say. A team that won the Champions League like three years ago, two years ago, to be tenth now, um, it's been it's been really bad, um, especially you know with the manager change and the the new owners. Um, but yeah, where do we see Chelsea 
uh, ending up, you know, when the when you know when the dust is settled at the end of the season. What do you think, Michael? Bro, I don't know. I don't. I'm not following Chelsea soccer that closely, to be honest. All I really hear is y'all saying, "Oh, you wouldn't take Chelsea against like any team on any given match." So probably not too well. Um, but that's just me trusting Vinay's guts. So Vinay, you could probably expect. Yeah, I mean, I, I stand by that statement. Right now, we've seen them against a multitude of teams, yeah. and no matter who they're playing against, they still manage to look the worst side, even if they are able to scrape away a result. And, you know, getting thoroughly outplayed like that on a consistent basis, they're just not in a good place right now. Um, hopefully, some new signings kick in. You know, when you make that many signings, a couple of them are bound to, bound to hit. Um, Mudrick's going to be exciting, along with all the other young talent. Uh, I think they're going to try to get some quality in that midfield. That's what they desperately need. Uh, they lack quality in the midfield, and they're getting trounced. Hopefully some quality gets in there. Because, you know, it is, as a Man United fan, it's fun to see them doing terribly, but you want to see, you know, a rival club with the history and the prestige. You don't want to see them tank too much. Yeah, I agree. Sam, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, kind of in a similar boat to Michael, where I'm not, uh, you know, as caught up on Chelsea football as I could be, but just from what, like, you saw me in, and I did hear about some of this signings, actually. It just feels like a like a desperation move, honestly, when you just start paying and paying. Uh, and, you know, if we were to compare to American football, it would be the Rams saying F them picks and just throwing and paying for superstars only, and, you know, screw the depth. We'll, we'll leave that later. Uh, but obviously, you would hope for some improvement, but when you're uh, when you're already mid season and you're just scrambling and paying out of desperation, I don't really know how far up you can go. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a Chelsea player on the current squad and I see all these new signings, just it makes you really nervous. So you know, some part of me you know wants to believe that the current Chelsea starting eleven, you know, will see the signs that Chelsea is making and kind of you know, you know, put their shift into like, like shift their focus into actually you know improving, focusing on training, focusing on you know getting better. But, you know, on the other side of things, you know, when you bring in a ton of new players, you know, it messes up with the overall chemistry of the team. And, you know, I think it makes like a less cohesive unit. So it can really go either way. Uh, we saw how Felix had a horrible debut, uh, getting a red card at the 64th minute. But, uh, yeah, I don't see them making any European football. If they do, they're going to get the last conference league spot. But, yeah. I, I mean, mean, let's not forget that they're putting all this, all these signings and all this shakeup in the hands of Graham Potter. Yeah. Graham Potter has not shown that he has the talent to like. I mean, why are you giving the all the, Why are you giving all of this to Graham Potter when he's been on the job for so little? Exactly. This is like something you do for a Mourinho or a Conte. Yeah, I mean, this is not, not th- Graham. This Potter. is clearly a you know a reaction to their recent form. New owners just trying to you know appease the fans and appease appease their shareholders, and it's throwing a ton of money into like trying to fix a solution, but they don't even know what the problem is. I also want to shout out FIFA because I didn't know they were in bad form. You just tried playing with them, right? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, shout out to FIFA, I guess. Shout um, out to Neil. Oh yeah, our live audience Neil. But yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. Really quickly. Um, also, we another game I wanted to talk about real quick is the Tottenham Manchester City game that happened earlier today. Tottenham was up 2-0 at halftime, and then I don't know what Pep Guardiola said in the tunnel or in the changing room. Manchester City outscored Tottenham 4-0 in the second half to make the final score 4-2, completing the comeback. It went from a shutout to an, like an absolute disaster class for Tottenham. Erling Haaland got on the score sheet, Riyad Mahrez got on the score sheet twice, and uh, Julian Alvarez um, died the first goal. 
Uh, I don't really you know have any like questions about this game, but I just wanted to bring this up. Like we were talking about this earlier, and there's like no denying that Pep Guardiola has to you know an unreal manager. Just like that is proof in itself that when your tactics don't work at you know at first, you know halftime comes around, you talk to your your team, you make changes, and you implement those changes, and you know it spills over to the players. So wait, but Vinay, you know what quote I'm about to say? What lead they had in the game? Uh, yep. Two nil leads. Yeah, the yeah. most dangerously. Oh yeah, in all of, in, in all of sports, I would say having a two zero lead in soccer, uh, going into that at the half, I'd be shaking my boots. I'd purposely tell my players not to put a second goal back if it meant not going up two. Yeah, nil. exactly. You know, that complacency kicks in, and as soon as you give that avenue to a team like Man City, they will completely bury you, and that's what happened to Tottenham. You know, what can I say? Another poverty franchise. <laughs> yeah. They're joining the depths of Liverpool and Chelsea right now. Yeah, I mean, I hope, you know, they can figure out a way, especially, you know, I'm very, you know, a special place in my heart for Antonio Conte, so I just hope he succeeds in the Tottenham position. But the last game I want to talk about was a little bit of a banter game, in my opinion. It was the Riyadh All-Star 11 versus Paris Saint-Germain. The game ended 4-5. It was probably the last head-to-head we'll ever see with Ronaldo and Messi on opposing teams. Um, do y'all have some thoughts to share about the game if you like, saw something on social media or you watched the game? What about you? Ronaldo got destroyed, didn't he? Oh, yeah, dude. So, in the first half, there was like a corner and uh, Kaylor Navas went for the ball. But, like He wanted to punch it in midair and Ronaldo was trying to go for the header. So, they just made contact and his eye got all swollen up, which led to Ronaldo's first goal uh, of, the, of his year. Uh, he scored a penalty, and he ended up getting uh, another goal later on in the game. But, uh, yeah, Vinay, do you have any thoughts on the game? Yeah, I mean, it's always fun to see a glorified photo shoot with a side of soccer in between takes. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, that's what this match was. I mean, it was sentimental, but to me, it just made me sad to see, like, wow. Like, these guys um, really took the times for granted when they were battling it out on the biggest stage in the best moments. And there's so many players on like, that. This was kind of a mockery of like all the historic battles that they've had. There are so many players on the PSG team that competed, got competed in El Clasico, like Nava, Sergio Ramos, uh, Ronaldo for Al Nasser, exactly. Messi for Barcelona. I'm saying Neymar for Barcelona. Like they literally, I think they like this historic rivalry has come down to two oil clubs trying to recreate it. It's unbearable. Yeah, and yet, what a. What a waste. Yeah, and I mean, while the game was, like, fun to watch, I mean, it really just did, like, did not, like, sit right with me. Uh, we do know that PSG ended up getting paid 8.8 million euros to accept this game, which makes it, like, sit, like it's very unsettling for me when I see, like, I know Riyadh 11 is, like, a comprised of Al Nasser and Al Riyadh who have, like, a ton of money, but they're definitely, like, a smaller club on the, on the scale to PSG. So despite the fact that they have like an unlimited budget, they're still a smaller team. And this my my point still applies. It's very unsettling for me when a smaller club, no matter their budget, has to pay bigger clubs for a game so they can play to like increase their exposure, you know, get you know another game on their schedule. And it should be the other way around in my opinion. Like that's what that's what you see in college football, right? You see, you know, smaller programs receiving money from these bigger teams, you know, so the bigger teams, you know, have, you know, a more complete schedule. But also the small teams are getting the monetary incentive to play them 
you know, national headlines as well as, you know, money that they can reinvest towards, you know, improving their, their clubhouse and improving their game. So, I mean, for me, I should, I should just be thinking that PSG should be paying Aubrey to play them. You know, like you said, you know, these bigger teams have, you know, huge budgets. So, kind of make that comparison. Like, do you think that the position that we're in right now in soccer is more, you know, like better on, on, on that? Or you think, you know, the college football um, way is better? Michael, what do you think? Um, I would, I, I prefer the college football <clears throat> approach. I think it makes more sense to me, right? Like, uh, you're a big powerhouse school. You want to complete your schedule with like an easy win. And that's the exact reward you're getting when you're paying a smaller school to play you, right? They don't have the roster to keep up with you. You're practically paying for a win unless you're Michigan paying for a win against Appalachian State. I believe it was in 2007. Um, but beyond that... Yeah, say they just did it this year against Appalachian State. They paid $1.8 billion to lose. Ah, uh, yes. I forgot about that, too. I'm living in 2007 in the good old times when Tebow was the Heisman and we were winning back-to-back 90s. My apologies, but um, actually we didn't win back to back. That's a, that's a topic for another time. But I, I think college football method makes more sense because the big school is getting paid for a free win, which by the way, the important note here is that when you get a win, although maybe it's, it's not the most exciting thing ever and it's against you know a, like a, a small school, uh, that win creates a lot of momentum for you know attendance at future games, energy at future games. Um, it also helps your chances to in the playoff, right? You get a free win. Um, I don't know. That's nice to have because you're not playing another um, average SEC school, which can beat you on almost any given Saturday, right? Um, on the other end, like Rowan said, uh, I do think it's nice for the smaller schools to, to get that money that they can reinvest back into you know their facilities, their training, their coaching staff, uh, maybe to get better NIL deals. But also, they're getting you know better competition, um, better film to look at. Um, you know, increased exposure. So maybe there's some new viewers that enjoy watching them. Um, they're also getting a lot too, apart from just the money and, um, you know, better experience. Yeah. Also like these players are like literally like going against, like you said, like, like one of the better players yeah, like, 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 that are part of like a better club or like a better school. Yeah. Yeah. Like say, say for instance, there's a draft prospect from a smaller school. This is his opportunity to, to show himself on the national stage. Hey, I can keep up with these, you know, big time SEC um, powerhouse guys, um, and that's why you should draft me. Is, is is kind of an opportunity for them as well. I, I like it a lot more in college football. I think it makes more sense. Hey, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's very concerning when you see you know two clubs with ridiculous amounts of money just dropping money on these glorified photo shoots. You know, they're trying to create the moments. They're trying to buy the moments of football, and it's really discouraging. You know, you got to let those. Rival rivalries like that, you know, moments like that take s- decades to develop, and you can't just buy two sides, put them in a stadium in Saudi Arabia, and say, "Give us fireworks," you know, because that'll never equate to the Merseyside derby on a given rainy afternoon on a Tuesday in England. So, kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like the college football method better, but I, I think it's the reality, frankly. Like, and this was kind of a fluke. Like, the Saudi Arabia just, club just has all this money to spend. Uh, so from there, they're getting a return on investment. They're basically paying PSG to play because they have all this money to spare. And uh, obviously putting Ronaldo and Messi on the same pitch is going to bring in massive view, uh, viewership. You think it's just a sentimental game at this point. But I think it's kind of a fluke. I don't know how often we'll be seeing trends like that where a, uh, a smaller team pays the big money to play a bigger team. I think it's 
in reality, it's going to often be the other college football win, which is just better. So it should be. Yeah. Unless you're Texas and who can't beat Appalachian State because they're too good for you. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it is, you know, I wouldn't say it's you know, uncommon for teams to, like, you know, play friendlies. Like, for instance, like during the World Cup break, like you've had to set up like three or four. Well, that's different. Match. I'd just be like paying big, serious, big money to play. Like, I, I don't think they're ever going to pay like eight point eight million just to play a game. I feel like that was just no. Like, yeah, so that's how like set, that's how up. friendlies are like set up. They like they pay the other team. Um, yeah, they they the I have a quick question, kind yeah. of about topic, but is there um, a limit on how much t- teams like in football, like like soccer, can pay for players? Yeah. Um, so like in La Liga, for instance, there's a lot of controversy with. Barcelona, who like kind of exceeded their cap mm-hmm. uh, for the amount of like money they were able to spend, but I don't think that there is a like salary uh, salary cap that's enforced across all of Europe. Mm-hmm. I think it just depends it's on the leagues yeah. and you know how you know the league enforces those rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. So going back to what I was saying, like you know, Sam, you know, made a good point how you know they're paying the money to like get the exposure, and, you know, getting you know a lot of eyes on you know the smaller players. But we'll look at this price tag, for instance, 8.8 million euros. If they're doing it um, for like the, the photo op like reason, uh, and like a majority of the reason was the photo op, I don't think um, you know, they received 8.8 million dollars in return to even break even from like shirt sales or like media exposure or any that your viewership numbers or ticket like season ticket holders. Like, I don't think they they pay. I don't think they break even, or I think they lose yeah, a lot of money. Soon, all that like commercials and whatnot, and, and merch sales, and, and the, even concessions, stuff like that. I feel like all of it kind of plays into account, but just the viewership in general, yeah, for people to come back to future games because they're seeing your yeah, uh, started on the split. Yeah, I don't, the, I don't know. The they only, also just have a lot of fu money to spend, so yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, the, I agree. This situation was a little bit of a fluke because our Riyadh does have a lot of, oh, sorry, the Riyadh uh, 11 has like a lot of money to throw around, but yeah, I just think you know, these big teams should be, you know fronting the bill for the, for this but uh um yeah and that's pretty much all i have for soccer uh but before we get into our last segment of the day we want to you know introduce a new uh surprise uh segment onto our show where we bring on a special guest our first special guest yeah to talk hold about down the fort history to talk about their sport of uh you know they're gonna be our um you know specialists at expert. ufc Correspondent. Yes, our UFC correspondent. Everyone, please put your hands together for our boy, Jonah Bennett. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Rohan here. Just wanted to apologize. We had some technical difficulties recording the last bit of the podcast. So unfortunately, our friend Jonah was not able to do his UFC segment and our best bets were not recorded. So we're just going to avoid that for this week and we're just going to pick up next week. Uh, yeah, so, so again, sorry about the, the issues. We're going to, you know, try to make sure that doesn't happen for next week. But yeah, expect uh, a few episodes leading up to the big pod next week. And uh, we'll continue our best bet segment. And uh, uh, continue to leave suggestions below in the comments. Please continue to like, subscribe. Really do appreciate the support. And yeah, we'll catch you next week. Thanks.